Hello, I'm Peter Laws, and this is Season 3, Episode 7 of Creepy Cove Community Church, the horror-themed church service designed to amuse, entertain, encourage, inspire, and disturb. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Now, right now, I'm about to go in church, but I'm sitting in the car, and it is really pouring with rain around church tonight, but um, ooh, well, I can just about make out a man. He's running across the car park with a hat and a long black jacket. Uh, oh my goodness, it's a priest. Oh, he's got a clerical collar, groovy black jeans, and a cardigan. Oh, and he's carrying a muffin. Do you know what? I think I know who he is. I think that's Father Paul. He's going to head over to Crockett Island this week to become their priest. I hear he's going to reintroduce the <laughs> Midnight Mass. Well, um, I'll pop out and say a quick hello and introduce myself, but... Whoa, what the heck's that flying about? Pigeon, maybe? Okay, anyway, I'll see you in church. Father? Our church sits in a cold place. At the very edge of a windswept cliff, here we overlook the notorious community of Creepy Cove, a haunted, mysterious fishing town by the sea. It is a place where every horror movie actually happened. We have served the spiritual and spooky needs of the cove for centuries, but now we invite you, our special friend, to join us. So come on in. Shake off the rain, because the After Dark service is about to begin. This is Creepy Cove Community Church. We bid you welcome. Oh, thank you, thank you, what a wonderful welcome. Good evening, one and all, and welcome to another lovely service here at Creepy Cove Community Church, where it is lashing down of rain, isn't it? Have you noticed it outside? It's quite uh, apocalyptic. Honestly, I saw the actor William Shatner in our car park and he refuses to get out of his car because of the rain. He's scared it might make him melt. <laughs> what a funny old chap. He's got some interesting ideas. So anyway, he's staying in the car and he's going to listen to the service tonight via the podcast medium. And a special welcome to anybody who is doing similar perhaps at home or in your car. Hello and welcome to Creepy Cove. We're going to dive straight into our church service tonight when we share the notices in a little section that I like to call What's Happening, Lord? What's happening? Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad tidings, but this is one of the most devastating variety of news I can possibly tell you. And I know it will affect many of you in the congregation tonight. You see, the coffee machine is not working, and we're struggling to get it fixed. Because it's not about simple mechanics, you understand. The problem is supernatural. Yes, you guessed it. Our pesky church poltergeist has been fiddling once again with our church utensils. Um, And unfortunately, it means that the coffee machine is, rather than sputtering out refreshing bean juice into our trendy cups, It's vomiting out this disgusting brown vile liquid, which we've tasted, and I'm afraid it tastes like a diseased cat's doubloon, if you know what I mean. Not nice. So I'm afraid we have absolutely no coffee this evening to go along with our usual cocktails. I appreciate that some of you in the congregation are now looking at me with an abject sense of terror and an existential jitter. Well, to support you with your withdrawal, the only thing we could do for recompense was to ask Dr. Herbert West to be on hand at the bar. If you require 
require a little pick-me-up over coffee? Well, the humble substitute is this. He is willing to inject you with a smidgen, a smidgen, I say, of his patented reagent elixir, which has the power to raise corpses from the dead. So one assumes that a smaller dose might put a little spring in your step if you're alive. He says that um, he has never attempted this before, so you will need to sign a very comprehensive consent form and disclaimer before the injection. But of course, as you can already see, many of you are already on your feet and are literally jogging towards Dr. West as we speak with your pens at the ready. Well, clearly it should be popular. Well, rest assured, everyone, that we have booked local eccentric spirit medium Zelda Rubinstein to pop in this afternoon to have a little look at our coffee machine and to hopefully cast that poltergeist out. Sadly, she couldn't get here in time for the service, for she is currently exercising a malevolent ancient spirit from a photocopier in town. Well, one other notice. Do you enjoy the music of Creepy Cove? It's a bit loud, Jackson. Do consider checking out our Bandcamp page, where you can purchase all of our albumens with our horror hymns and so forth. The Creepy Cove Horror Hymn albums are available to buy and download, but the good news is, if you are struggling financially, or indeed if you simply want to withhold financial recompense towards us, you can stream them for a few times absolutely free. Isn't that good? So do check it out, there's some lovely songs on there to delight and freak out your friends. Just look for, um, well, go to peterlaws.co.uk and you'll see all the links there. Yes, indeed. Well, <laughs> let's move on to our very special guest this evening. And I'm very excited for us all to meet him. And uh, let me give you a little bit of preamble so you know what's going on. Uh, you all know about the lovely little island just off the mainland here, yes? Um, just off Creepy Cove, little island called Crockett, yes? Some of you have been over there. I think some of you can just go over there now and again. But anyway, um, it boasts a very fine community of fishermen and fisherwomen and youngsters and a doctor. It's very small and some would almost say a backward little island. I wouldn't say that, but some would say it. But it does have an ultrasound machine, which is quite surprising. Uh, anyway, the heart of the community is St. Patrick's, the little church. And uh, tomorrow, they will be receiving their brand new interim minister, Father Paul Hill. And before he heads off to the little island to serve in that ministry, Father Paul decided to attend our service to gain a little bit of spiritual sustenance for the task ahead. And so we thought it would be absolutely lovely to invite Father Paul up for a little wee chat. So could you please put your hands and claws together for Father Paul Hill, the future minister of St. Patrick's on Crockett Island. <coughs> Is a smooth, smooth tap, isn't it? Yes. Come on up, yes. Ah, oh, lovely. Please, just, just over by the microphone, wonderful. So, uh, Father Paul, how's it hanging, eh? Um, Father? I said, how? Father, how's it hanging? Uh, it's you to speak for. How are you? You okay? I, I gotta say, to be honest, I hadn't really considered how awkward this would be with just two people. I, I really don't know how to start. <laughs> don't overthink it. It's, it's, it's all right. Sorry. No, don't apologize. This is just a classic dialogue, uh, an interview. Do you understand? 
think we just talk. Oh, by Jove, he's got it. <laughs> Round of applause for the poetry. Well, I'll be asking the questions, of course. Okay, what are you asking? Well, my first poser was that I hear you're taking over from Father Pruitt, who has preached in our church on several occasions in years gone by, but we are very sad to hear that Father Pruitt has been desperately ill and will not be returning to St. Patrick's to minister. At least not for a little while. <sighs> That's okay. It's for the best. Oof, is it now? <laughs> well, it's easy for you to say, Father Paul. Uh, you're getting a new job out of it and a lovely manse, but um, Father Pruitt is stuck in hospital bed. Have you ever seen... By the way, have you ever seen Father Pruitt's party trick? Have, have you heard about this, Father? No, we, we can talk about it. We shall. It's wonderful. Father Pruitt has the most moist armpits on the whole island of Crockett. He's famous for it, which I appreciate sounds disgusting. It is. But it means that he has the ability to put his hand under his armpit and he can squeeze out the sound of a raspberry. You know, like a, well, forgive me, that sort of sound, and he can pitch these raspberries to such meticulous precision that he can perform entire hymns. For example, I saw him do When the Saints Go Marching In once. It was truly astonishing. That sounds wonderful, frankly. Oh, it is. In fact, his ability to arm fart handles Messiah in its entirety is really quite a rare skill. God's <laughs> gifts oh. are as tangible yes. as the ground beneath our feet. Oh, gosh, got a little bit animated there. Um, be careful of that stage, bashing it. Good break. Sorry. But yes, on this topic of God's gifts, I very much agree. You know, miracles don't have to be lofty and grand. They can be funny and mildly unpalatable, I think. But do you know what, Father? After I saw Monsignor Pruitt farting out the John Carpenter's theme from Halloween, I tried doing it myself. Good for you. Yes, but I could never achieve the correct squelching sound and rapidity. It's tough to do. It is. I even, I lathered my hands liberally in olive oil, but it just made an unpleasant slapping and sliding sound. And my wife, Brenda, told me to uh, sleep in the room downstairs that night. Anyway, I, it made no tune to speak of, and I tried for a whole ten minutes. Okay, so I said, we can safely say you're not practicing. Well, I admit I didn't. Practice for long. I, I tried the armpit fart skill just the once, but um, my my question is, um, perhaps you could enlighten me. Why couldn't God have just blessed me with this most wondrous gift? I mean, He ordained to allow Father Pruitt this brilliant skill, but uh, not me. And do you know how many of us have this problem? It's a lot, actually. One in twelve of us. Dear Lord, one in twelve of us can't play a tune with our armpits. That's desperately sad. Hmm. Father, what, Father, why do you think the Lord sometimes afflicts some of us with uh, such limitations? Well, if, if you're here seeking to know answers to the unknowable, it's incumbent upon me to tell you that I have none. So you don't know then? If you want to know why or how God's will shapes the world, brothers and sisters, so do I. I don't have all the answers. Nobody does. What I do have, though, and what God gives us plentifully are mysteries. God gives us miracles very rarely, here and there, but mysteries. 
Indeed, you're right. In, in, in fact, here's a mystery. My nephew Christopher is one of the chosen ones. He can not only fart melodies from his armpit, but also from his actual hindquarters. To be a child. Yes, it's offensive, but skillful. Well, maybe one day I too shall achieve the ability to lead a rousing chorus via the medium of flatulence. Perhaps if I pray to the Lord, he will grant me this most creative of skill sets. Oh, I know you can do it. I do. <laughs> Father Paul, I thank you for the encouragement. So, anyway, I'm very sorry to have hijacked our conversation with matters of the gutter. Over to the main topic, which is uh, your new congregation over on Crockett Island. What do you hope to achieve in this lovely little church? Rebirth, second chances, eternal life. What's more empowering than that? Oh, exciting. Uh, but how do you hope to achieve such an ambitious manifesto? I really don't have an answer that's going to satisfy you. Mm. Oh, well, a uh, most enigmatic answer. Also, do you know what I've always been impressed with, with Crockett Island? It may be a small and humble community, and yet they did have a very generous collection so that they could commission the 1980s synthesizer artist, Jan Hammer, to write an entire theme about the island, and it's a very lovely track, I must say. Crockett's theme, of course. <laughs> I'm joking. It was just from a, a theme tune on a television program, anyway. Um, well, Father, before you sit down to enjoy the rest of our service, we were wondering if you would mind saying a few words of blessing over our congregation here. Would that be appropriate, do you think? No, wonderful, he's nodding. Could you please be upstanding for some words of blessing from Father Paul? Father? It's great to see so many of you here today. But um, I do have to ask, why not every Sunday? Is that it? Is that your blessing? Because, to be honest, that, oh, that sounded more like a veiled criticism, if you don't mind me saying. Sorry, I was a little bit tired today. Yes, whoa, uh, you're swaying on your feet. Would you, would you like to have a little sit down, Father? Father? Tiny dizzy spell. It's past. I'm fine. Sorry. I'm very sorry. You know, your um, eyes... Your, sorry, your eyes are looking a little bit bloodshot. A, a lot bloodshot, actually. I'm very sorry. I, um... No, no, no. There's no need to apologize. Uh, just, just perhaps if you could sit down, we'll get you a brandy, perhaps. Look, Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. Alcohol isn't good or bad. No. Oh, does that mean you want to double? <laughs> Father, please, I insist, you must sit down. You look dizzy. But I am here to tell you. No, you don't have to complete the blessing. Just sit down. Rebirth. Second chances. It turned... Mm. It... Oh, my goodness, look. He's, he's fallen. Please, someone, get him a stiff drink. Perhaps a lollipop from the bar. Actually, Herbert, Dr. Herbert West, come and give him a little shot of your, your juice. Yes, if you could just... That's a lot to wrap your head around. <laughs> okay. I, I, I can barely... Be... It's okay. No, just sit down. It's fine. Just chill out. Well, could you please spare a prayer today for Father Paul as he heads over to Crockett Island? Father, I am sure the sea air will make you as right as rain. And you'll really enjoy the parishioners over there, I'm sure. Moving on now, we come to our Bible reading, which tonight will be read to us by... 
Lysia, who is a very clever person indeed. Did you know she graduated from Miskatonic University and currently lives in a little town called Twin Peaks? A very pleasant community. Anyway, I will hand over to Lysia. Thank you. Thank you, Rupert, for the lovely introduction. Always a pleasure, never a pain, Lysia. And thank you, Peter, for having me here at the lovely Creepy Cove Community Church. I will be reading Mark 8, verse 1 through 13. He left there and returned to his hometown. His disciples came along. On the Sabbath, he gave a lecture in the meeting place. He stole the show, impressing everyone. We had no idea he was this good, they said. How did he get so wise all of a sudden, get such ability? But in the next breath, they were cutting him down. He's just a carpenter, Mary's boy. We've known him since he was a kid. We know his brothers, James, Justice, Jude, and Simon, and his sisters. Who does he think he is? They tripped over what little they knew about him and fell sprawling, and they never got any further. Jesus told them, a prophet has little honor in his hometown among his relatives on the streets he played as a child. Jesus wasn't able to do much of anything there. He laid hands on a few sick people and healed them, that's all. He couldn't get over their stubbornness. He left and made a circuit of other villages, teaching. Jesus called the twelve to him and sent them out in pairs. He gave them authority and power to deal with the evil opposition. He sent them off with these instructions. Don't think you need a lot of extra equipment for this. You are the equipment. No special appeal for funds. Keep it simple and no luxury ins. Get a modest place and be content there until you leave. If you are not welcome, not listened to, quietly withdraw. Don't make a scene, shrug your shoulders and be on your way. And then they were on the road. They preached with joyful urgency that life can be radically different, right and left. They sent the demons packing. They brought wellness to the sick, anointing their bodies and healing their spirits. Thank you so much, Lucia, for that reading. And hello, uh, everybody. My name is Peter Laws and uh, looking forward to exploring this topic with you. And by the way, don't worry, I've been with Father Paul uh, during the service just then and he's a-okay. You're okay, yeah? Yeah, he's doing well. Got the thumbs up. Well, we continue our look at the topic of dealing with rejection tonight. And if you remember last time I shared how all of us have suffered rejection in one way or another, and it hurts when that rejection comes uh, from strangers, but it hurts when it comes from friends and family especially. And we looked uh, last time at the example of Jesus' life, how he was rejected in his hometown with his own people, his brothers and sisters. They thought he'd gone out of his mind. And we shared about how, you know, horrible that was for him to experience. But then I did say that we were going to try and learn a little bit about how to deal with rejection based on his reactions. And of course, you don't have to be into Christianity or religion to learn something from this, I think. I think, you know, it's fairly transferable no matter where you stand. And so the first thing we notice about this passage, I think, is that rejection doesn't have to slow you down or derail your plans. Uh, something, sometimes we think it does, um, but actually here it doesn't derail Jesus. He was baffled and hurt by the rejection, but it didn't stop him moving forward. So don't assume that if you're having rejections in your life, it, they have to be a brick wall. They may not be. In fact, they might be a bridge to something else. Secondly, we, um, we, we shouldn't let rejection brew into resentment and hate. It can be natural to think that's the trajectory it should go on. 
that when people say nice things about us, we're nice to them. And then when people say horrible things about us, then we have to in turn be horrible to them. But as we explored in a few services ago in the love your enemies topic, we don't have to follow that tit for tat rule. And in fact, it can be liberating not to do that. And um, I mean, Jesus was confused by the rejection of his family. He was especially um, devastated by the brutality of his rejection, being crucified and executed publicly, as you would. But he still didn't let it turn into bitterness. In fact, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing while they're hammering him up there. So rejection never made him hate his rejectors or write them off. But thirdly, and I think crucially, this passage reminds us that we don't have to allow the rejection of others, even if it's our close family, define who we are. You see, look at verse 4. In the midst of his people saying Jesus is a weirdo and he's nothing, Jesus says something remarkable. He says, uh, he directly says this to them. In response to their rejection, he says, A prophet has little honor in his hometown among his relatives and on the streets he played in as a child. What's fascinating about this is that this is the first time in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is referred to as a prophet. Um, but what's interesting is he's the one who makes the reference. Do you get it? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, he boldly asserts his identity in the face of their rejection. It's like they're saying, loser, freak, weirdo. And he says, prophet, actually. This is quite counterintuitive because sometimes, well, is it, how do you respond to rejection? If someone calls you a loser, like, do you drop your eyes and say, oh, maybe they're right? Especially if it's someone you love rejecting you, do you think, oh, you know, maybe they've got a point? Well, Jesus refuses to be defined by what the critics say, even if it hurts him. He's not going to be defined by it. That's powerful. You see, why are we so afraid of rejection? And I am too, by the way. Because call me old-fashioned, but like, I like it when people like me. <laughs> like, I don't want to be rejected. Like, even this, as I'm speaking to you now, call it shallow, but I would like you to like this. I would like you to like me. And when I face criticism, sometimes it disproportionately stays on my mind. There was a time once, for example, when I was preaching a sermon in a church a few years ago, and um, at the end of it, people came up to me saying stuff like, I really enjoyed that, that helped me, that was really nice, etc. But um, then this old man came up to me and tugged me to the side and said, can we just uh, step aside for a minute? And I thought, oh dear, this doesn't sound good. And he starts by saying, why do you young preachers? And I thought, oh, crikey, here we go. Um... He says, why do you young preachers let your voice down? It goes down at the end of the sentences when you pray. And I was like, huh? And he said, no, you know what I mean. It's like you don't have confidence when you pray. Your voice goes down in pitch at the end. Now, to be honest, I was baffled at what the heck he was talking about. Because um, I was thinking, well, surely if you go up in pitch at the end of a prayer, that sounds worse. You know, like, please bless us, Lord. Amen. Maybe. <laughs> but anyway, later, I, I, I thought about this a lot afterwards, and I realized he probably meant volume, you know, rather than say, God be with us. Amen. He was on about how older types, older preachers might say, God be with us. Amen. <laughs> like really Charlton Heston style. Anyway, it's relevant if the criticism was accurate or not. My point is, I forgot all the nice things people said, 
and I focused on that one little rejection for days afterwards. It was completely out of proportion. You see, we hate rejection for one simple reason. We put far too much stock into what other people think of us. And I think we don't put enough into what God says about us. Now, please don't get me wrong. If you don't believe in God, this section might not be relevant. But for some of us out there who are open to this, we kind of forget that, you know, the, the, the loving things that God says about us, that we are precious and wonderfully made. And we tend to hold on to the assumptions that we're the opposite of that, that we're scumbags. And sometimes certain expressions of Christianity will hammer that home and make you feel like you're a worm and you're a you know, waste of space. Maybe that's why Jesus immediately sends the disciples out to preach in the various towns and villages. He tells them, don't take money or bags or extra tunics. Um, he wants them to push away all the usual criteria that makes them worthwhile, possessions and status. And he wants them to keep it simple so that when the miracles happen, people aren't going to say, ah, this happened because of some inherent thing they've got, like they're rich or they're learned or important or they possess a lot of things. Now, their fruitfulness is based on who they know and who they're loved by, you know? The confidence is not based on themselves, but on this ordinary carpenter who is actually extraordinary. And the, the point is, you are also extraordinary. No matter how ordinary you might think you are on paper, you might not have won an Oscar, you might not have walked on the moon. Who cares? You are massively, wonderfully loved. This is the kind of the, the message that I'm talking about. Um, you see, if you want to live a life of fruitfulness or achieving what you hope for in lots of different ways, not just spiritually, but professionally, socially, then you're going to have to try and deal with this rejection thing. And it's not easy because some of us hate the idea of being rejected so much that we allow it to control events, you know, that we don't want to experience rejection or criticism. So we never step out and do anything so that at least we can avoid that. But you, the thing is, you can't control events. There are so many things that are out of your hands. But you can control how you process events and how you process rejection in your mind. You know, you can choose, and it's not easy, but you can choose not to see, say, social media likes as the authoritative gauge of your worth. Um, we choose to not def let other people define who we are. You know, I, I let that happened to me and I have done sometimes as many of you know I write uh, psychological thrillers and horror novels and um, I remember when I was first trying to start out to become a novelist and my books were being sent away to publishers and I just kept getting rejected over and over and over again and I eventually got a book deal but for those five or six years of rejection when I didn't made me really quite miserable and um, I wanted to be a published author so much too much, to be honest. And I remember once uh, looking at another rejection letter in my uh, kitchen and crying about it at the table, just feeling so sad about it all. Like, you know, I, I was like losing my opportunity and I was getting too old and I was missing my chance. And um, I started to realize I was kind of, I was concentrating on a very kind of narrow um, criteria to decide if my life was worthwhile or not, you know? But at least I, I managed to keep keep going and um, I tried not to let it define me, but sometimes it did. <laughs> you know, I think sometimes the victory is not primarily about the outside circumstances or success. 
getting the publishing deal, for example. It's more about the quiet revolution inside you that learns that you actually don't need other people to love and accept you as wonderful as that is. You don't need that to know that you are lovable and acceptable. The tragic thing is though, that so many of us play it safe because um, we want to avoid rejection and perhaps with good reason, we might have been really burned by it in the past. So we don't share our opinions in conversations on meetings because we're scared of rejection. We want to tell a joke at a party, but we dare not to in case we mess up the punchline and get rejected. Or we don't share our creative gifts or ideas because we're scared of being rejected. I once remember an elderly lady in a church I was at once, and she was very artistic, and I remember commenting on this once, and she told me uh, a story about when she was younger. She said, oh, I almost went to art college. And I went, really? Wow. I'm not surprised, but like, why? What happened? Why didn't you? Turns out she was a nurse all of her life. And she said, well, the night before I was going to apply for it, I filled out my application in my bedroom and I was sitting there and excited about applying. But then my sister later walked into my room and picked up the application form. And she looked at me and she said something like, do you really think you, you could do something like this? And she laughed and walked out. And this lovely woman, apparently she just said, well, I picked, I picked up the application, looked at it, and I threw it in the bin. I threw it away. And I realized I had to be sensible and I applied to be a nurse. When we avoid rejection, we might have a safer and quieter life. And sometimes it can be fruitful. You know, she would have done wonderful things as a nurse. But my point is it, it might not be the adventure that you really want, you know? that you're made for. I guess what I'm saying is, it's like rejection's normal. It kind of happens to the best of us, including Jesus, as we've established, who didn't do anything wrong, and yet he was rejected. And by the way, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Some pe some, I've met some Christians who think like having rejection from people in society is a badge of honor, you know? So, <laughs> so they'll be like, yeah, I'm a persecuted Christian because I'm not allowed to, you know, stand on street corners and, and point at people and say, you're gay and you're going to hell, you scumbag. I'm rejected for Christ. Well, actually, maybe you're just being, you're just being obnoxious and loving and unJesus-like. That's why you're getting rejected. Now, what, I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about being rejected for just being, doing the right thing, you know, doing the thing that you think's right. That's, that, Jesus was doing that and he got crucified for it. And just imagine, he didn't have to do, go through with that. He could have, even in this passage we've had now, he could have like faced this and said, you know what, not for me. I think I'll have a quiet life and stick with being a carpenter. Don't get much rejection there. Pretty good at fixing tables, me. But no. He keeps going. It doesn't let it define him. Can you remember how at the last service uh, I introduced this topic of rejection by telling you how I got rejected from jobs growing up and sports teams and also rejected from a girl I met at a university who I fancied and she turned me down and said she didn't want to go out with me. I was gutted, left in a pub, peeling the label off my beer bottle in sadness. Very tragic story. <laughs> Well, it's true. I never did get that supermarket job in quick save. I never became a great football player who everyone wanted on their team. But the girl who rejected me in the pub that night, that was a different story. You see, she told me the reason she rejected me when she left that night was, um, was because I wasn't a Christian. And I was like, what? 
uh, it turned out she wasn't being weird, or she wasn't acting like a weirdo cult type person. Um, but actually, and, and that she didn't want to hang around with unbelievers or heathens. It wasn't anything like that. It's just, you know, she'd had boyfriends before. She was now at university and um, she was, you know, wanting a boyfriend who shared her interests more. And um, Christianity meant a lot to it. So it was, that was the reason. Anyway, I was a non-Christian at the time. I thought, that sounds bizarre, but um, I really fancied her. So even though she dumped me that night, or, or sorry, rejected me that night, I uh, decided I'm going to go to the Christian Union. Partly because I'm interested in spirituality a bit, but uh, maybe she'll fancy me <laughs> if I go along there. Well, little did I realize that when I went there, you know, I'd end up discovering this ordinary carpenter fella called Jesus, who did actually change my life. And then, astonishingly, <laughs> I ended up going out with a girl. And then we got engaged. And then I got married. And I've now been married to that girl for 22 years. And we've got two kids. <laughs> I almost never even met her. Do you know why? Let me explain. I met her at Lancaster University. And uh, I actually applied for Lancaster University the year before she did, because I'm a year older than her. And I'd planned on doing advertising, but I didn't get the right grades. So Lancaster rejected me and I was gutted. And I went to Nottingham Trent University instead, but that didn't work out. And I dropped out of Nottingham, feeling like the biggest failure. And I can vividly remember standing in a phone box outside my dingy Nottingham house as the December snow fell around me. And I was trying my hardest not to cry on the phone to my mum, telling her I'm gonna drop out. I, and I felt like a failure, what a reject. But anyway, after that, I reapplied to Lancaster the following year for a different course. And it meant I began the same year as this girl who just happened to live in the building quite close to me. My point is that if I hadn't been rejected that first time, if I'd gotten my way, I'd never have started Lancaster University a year um, later. And I most certainly wouldn't have met her. Which means I may well have never become a Christian, maybe. But it also boggles the mind to think that if I'd gotten on the course I wanted and if I wasn't rejected, my children would not exist. <laughs> Isn't that insane? What am I trying to say It's this? Rejection at the time hurts. Missing out on the first uni place, uh, you know, her saying she didn't want to go out with me. Those rejections were not very pleasant, but they, they ended up changing my life for the better. You know, God might not exist, fair enough, but I'm, I'm inclined to think he does. And if he does, he seems to be an expert at turning even the most hideous of rejections into a source of new life. You just have to look at the sign of a execution and rejection, the cross becoming a sign of sacrifice and hope. So listen, you will be rejected in the world. Might as well get used to it, <laughs> but it doesn't have to define you. And if you're into the idea of God, be encouraged. Because in this world of rejection, we have a God who will never, ever reject us. Hebrews 13.5 says this, Never will I leave you, and never will I forsake you. Well, since we have Father Paul with us tonight, perhaps we could spend a moment visualizing the island to which he's going to minister tomorrow. Crockett Island. <laughs> you can't play that. No, you can't play that. We haven't got the license. It's something more appropriate. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's good. That's good. Picture it how you will. Maybe you've been there. You've seen what it looks like. Maybe you haven't. Picture it from above or from within, wherever you prefer. And just allow yourself to gently move around it, through it. Look at the buildings. In particular, that have been battered by harsh weather and storms and cold and rain for years and years and years, and yet they're still standing, most of them. <laughs> now consider the people inside those buildings and all the battering they have endured, perhaps. The rejections, the mysteries they faced. And as you move amongst them, you know that you too have faced mysteries and rejections of your own. And as the storm clouds gather, perhaps again, bracing for the elements, we're going to pray for a sense of peace in the midst of that, on the shores of that. God, if you exist, would you please help heal the wounds of our rejections? And for some of us, these wounds are so deep. They are decades deep. Others are relatively recent. But we pray we will be inspired by Jesus' example. And also by his humanity of how that hurt him too. But Lord, we pray we will not be derailed or defined by the rejections we hear. And that you'll give us the boldness and the courage to step out into the adventures that are there for us. And that despite the rejections, we would see the sunlight. Or in the words of Anais Nin, beware of allowing a tactless world, a rebuttal, a rejection to obliterate the whole sky. Amen. Or should I say, Amen! <laughs> well, it's time for some music, and we are delighted to invite Father Paul back onto the stage. Yes, he has written a little upbeat song to commemorate his new period of ministry over at Crocodile Island, and he says he's going to be taking his guitar and singing this song at the Crocodile Island Crockpot Luck. But he said that he's going to give us a little sneak preview for the congregation here at Creepy Cove. And he tells me that the song is about how rejection and harsh words or even low expectations of others don't have to hold you back. It's called, what is it called? I do. I feel okay. It's called, I feel okay. Great. So can you please put your hands together for Father Paul and the church band with his horror hymn, I feel okay. Thinking I might stop the drinking in of all the heavy things that pull me down and stop me swimming. I have heard the rumors that the sky. 
Father Paul for your song and thank you for coming to Creepy Cove Community Church. Remember, if you would normally rush for a cocktail straight out of this service, then please do head for the bar. But if you'd normally rush for a coffee, well, please join the rather long queue for Dr. Herbert West and his reanimating agent. But until next time, please leave us a review, spread the word, or even check out the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash creepy cove. But for now, thanks for coming, everyone. Bye-bye. Hey, Rupert, that went well. Mm -hmm. Father Paul seems lovely. Isn't he? He's quite charming, and what a lovely cardigan. Oh, I love a cardigan. Yeah, I, I like this song, too. Yes, my toe was tapping. Well, it would be more accurate to say that my foot was tapping, for I do not know of many people who are able to tap one single toe in time with a funky beat. It's exceptionally difficult. Yeah, I never thought about that. Let me try. Wow. See? Oh, yeah, that is quite hard. Yes, alas, another miraculous gift the Lord hath not ordained to give me or you. But we press on, despite our tragedies. Yeah, I'm sure you'll cope without the armpit and 
toe ability. Really? So anyway, where's Father Paul now? Oh, you didn't see. Uh, the moment he played the last chord of his musical number, he leapt off the stage and raced to take his place behind the bar. Behind the bar? Yes, he's excited to help serve the drinks and tasty snacks. He's good like that. Likes to muck Great. Well, how about we join in and uh, have a drink? <laughs> I affirm your idea with enthusiasm. <laughs> you know what? I think I'll have port. A lovely little glass of port. Nice. This, I think it's that song he was singing, all that stuff about boats and maritime oh, docks. <laughs> Makes you want port. Do you find maritime references make you hanker for port, Peter? No. Every time for me. Yeah. Every time. You know what? Maybe I will have port. Come on. Well, thanks for coming, everybody, to Creepy Cove Community Church. And just in case you didn't know, tonight's guest, Father Paul, is a character from the Netflix show Midnight Mass, which is well worth a watch. But for now, thanks for coming to Creepy Cove service. Bye-bye.